Rooted in Revenue with your host today, Susan Finch. Hey everybody, Susan Finch here, your host for Rooted in Revenue and rumor has it, Lainey Sullivan will be coming back to the show very soon. We just had a lovely camping trip together a couple of weeks ago and she knows that she misses me a lot and she's going to come back and we'll start participating again in this podcast. But for now, I want to introduce you to somebody that I've known peripherally over the years, Russell Kern from Kern and Partners. And he shared topic with me today. Well, you're going to hear all about it. That as soon as I heard, I said, oh, we have to talk about this. This is at the root of everything I've been working on for myself, for my company, for my clients for the last few years. Join us for this episode. So it's been some years since your email has come across my inbox. And so I'm very happy to have you here with me. It's been many years because when Jim left and I bought the company from him, I just kept focusing on the podcasting stuff. We let the org- we let the SLMA go and it's just been a lot of transitions. We had been visiting about that document that you sent me is strength centric coaching, the key to elevated Perfect. employee engagement. Perfect. Yep. And it's also top of mind for so many people right now. Yes. Yes. It just gets left. I don't know. It gets left in the dust a lot or as an add on later or something optional. And it's like, eh, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. So what, what's very interesting, Susan, is that I have been focused on the issue of why isn't this an urgent issue? Yes. And where I came to is people don't speak about the ROI of L&D, especially in this area and its impact on the business because they don't know how or what is the industry norm of calculating the ROI. Well, what we I do have, and I have multiple, multiple statistics is in general, any learning and development program has an eight to 15 to one ROI. For every dollar invested, you get $8 back or 15, depending on your organization, 15. So, so this piece that I have, which is around elevating employee engagement through strength-centric coaching, comes from Gallup's global research. And I'll have to stand up to get all my statistics, which shows incredible increases in retention, customer satisfaction, revenue growth, profit growth and value. And that's because 70% of an employee's engagement level is directly impacted with the relationship between their manager. And that relationship is impacted with the 15 to 30 minutes they spend together each week, not talking about status, not talking about project progress, not talking about what happened, but talking about one topic, career growth. And so we teach organizations how to have their new managers or middle managers or all, how to hold these 15 to 30 minute meaningful meetings that speak about the most important universal need every employee wants to have it's about their personal career growth. And then we expound upon that to talk about the importance of recognition, belonging, meaningful work, autonomy. Um, and there's probably one more in there and you know, honoring who they are. And so I, I think you, I'm trying to ring the bell and maybe you're trying to ring the bell of, hey, CEO, 
this is a high-valued, proven return on investment. If there's any dollar you spend, it's on this. And in uncertain conditions, when you need your team to be adaptable and resilient and innovative and creative and adjusting to the uh, environment and the changes that are happening from the winds, there's nothing more important than creating the engagement and passion of your employee by developing your managers and teach them how to be strength-centric coaches and how to have that 15, just the one tool. There's lots of other tools, but just that one thing, if they could have a meaningful meeting, the, the engagement rate goes through the roof. I'll get my document and give you the stats as we can. So that's my deep, deep passion that comes from deep research. And it's not mushy-ushy. It's the real deal. <laughs> We think about this so frequently at enterprise level, at large company level, B2B level. When I read this, when I hear this and hear you talk about it, my daughter works at a bar in Boise. She's a cocktail waitress. She's really good at it. She wanted to work at this bar because it's her favorite bar. She got the job there. And everything you're saying also comes into play there. It, it, it applies to, well, I'm going to tell, so let's talk about why it applies to whether the business is three people, 30 people, 30,000 people, because in the end, any business is a human living system. It's an organism. It's a relationship of individuals. And we as individuals in this living system, right? It's called an organization, like a cell, an organ, an organ, organism uh -huh. is that the connection is what gives the energy between the individuals. And connection happens when there's a deep authenticity of caring and getting to know who you are and understanding the values that you're there, what brought you there and meeting your needs. And the worst is the smaller the business, the less the employer knows that because they're just struggling to survive and don't understand their survival is in the team creation, whether it's the waitress, the back office, the cook staff, the bar staff, the front of house staff, they fail. The smallest business fail at the biggest, even though they need it the most. And so um, connectivity is a result of authentic caring, which is a result of understanding and spending the time to talk about what that person cares about what their future is, what is meaningful to them, what is their purpose, what is their value more than get the job done. And right. then the job gets done really well. It's the inverse of how management is done because managers are still using 1980, 70, 90 employee as cog in the industrial wheel. That is gone over and done. That contract between employee and employ employer has flipped over and the employee is in charge. And the employers who know how to inspire the greatness and bring out the greatness of every employee are the ones that succeed. Can I tell you, a, can I just tell you a story? I know I'm rambling, but. You're not rambling. I'm, I'm loving I, this because I've been trying to implement this more and more because I have a small team. There are seven yeah. of us. Yeah. And I'm trying to be more cognizant in our weekly meetings because we do have a weekly meeting and they're just with a few of them because they can't all make it. And the two that show up every single time, 
I have learned to say, what can I do for you? How can I make you more successful? What do you need from me? What do you want to get done this week? And how can I help you do that? And just reframing my mindset to be of a servant's heart to those that work for me has changed everything. Yes. Now I'm going to click down deeper and I'm going to okay. give you a story. Okay. That's one way of what can I do to help you? Yes. But what they really want you to ask them is, how can I help advance your career? What is it we need to do to gather for you to grow with this company, in your skill set, in your life? Because that's a deeper need than what do you need to get done? And so you have to remember the work is just a means to personal fulfillment, both in the time at the workplace and at home. And the employer's job, those that succeed the most understand the click down. Talk to me about your you and your career success. What can I do? Do you need to go to a class? Would you like to do this? Do you want to get that? Do you need a day off for well-being? That's the big change. The other piece that I want to share, it is the leader's job to inspire greatness in every employee. So I work with a gentleman, his name is Matt Tenney. He um, has a piece of software called People Thriver. He's coming out with a new book called Inspiring Greatness. He, uh, he's got a fascinating story. So he, I, didn't, I wish I had thought of Inspiring Greatness. But what, I, what he says is that's the only leader's job is to inspire greatness in each other. So how is that happening? And the other story that I always like to tell is that I was in Florence, Italy, and maybe many of you have been to Florence, Italy, and that is where the Statue of David is. It's at the uh, Academy. And the story of David and the carving of the rock by Mac Michelangelo, or the story of the, is that he got a piece of marble that was discarded from another sculpture. And like I said, I can't make anything out of this. And Michelangelo's famous quote is, when I looked at the marble, I saw an angel within, and it was my job to release him. And so when the employer or the manager says there is beauty within every person, right. and it's my job to release that beauty, to acknowledge that passion, to honor their value, the dynamic changes and the gratitude and the relationship between employer and employee now changes to um, high engagement, high delivery, high passion, high commitment. So that's that's how I now, and strength-centric coaching and leadership is about honoring the beauty and the natural gifts we are born with and bringing them forward and making sure we're speaking to each individual to identify either intuitively or through quantitative metric is what are your natural God-given gifts and talents and strengths that bring you energy and how do we harness them within my organization so that together we grow as one. Ooh, I just want to soak all that in because it feels so good and it feels right. It goes back to what we teach our kids, you know, what your friends that you choose should always want you to be the best version of yourself and inspire you to get there as you should for them. Your spouse, your partner, the same thing. Otherwise, it is not the right fit. Right. This is no different. This is a third of our day. Yes. 
And why would we not want the same? Yes. So we do want the same, but the cultures and the messages and models and behavior sent from leadership out to the managers generally aren't updated. They're old. And then there's the lack of investment because they don't understand this is such a high investment impact that when you invest in your manager and you invest in strength center coaching, you're impacting um, retention, you're impacting productivity. When you have highly engaged employees, they impact customer satisfaction, which impacts revenue growth, which impacts um, uh, profit, which impacts value. They keep forgetting these simple fundamentals. And so- I don't know. This is the bell that I'm ringing. This is the bell that you're ringing. And the they just forget. The other piece they forget, man or woman, is they watch sports. Let's say, you know, whether it be tennis or football or, or women's Doesn't soccer, matter. any winning coach spends 70% of his team practicing on refining the skills and honing it together. We in the workplace never allow for practice. We expect every team member to show up with perfect skill and that they don't need practice and they don't need skill refinement. We don't have time for that, but I expect you to perform at hundred percent productivity all day long, humanly impossible. And so they just forget what it requires to create a winning team practice. The other piece though, of the sports metaphor is the idea of winners and losers. And that's the other old thinking is that it becomes this battle of I'm right, you're wrong, I win, you lose. And they aren't, they aren't, I mean, I see it all the time. And, and so they come from this place of instilling fear. Yes, which is, and I, as a young man, uh, young CEO, who had no real training in how to grow a business. And when I was in my early 20s, I was terrible. I was absolutely terrible. And I instilled fear, I would, I yelled, I had bad models. And it took dozens of years to mature and grow and study and also the world has changed to come to the point of it is time of this is the time of compassionate leadership authentic leadership honoring the beauty within each person and allowing it to flourish and that is what the world needs it's what our global planet needs it's what an organization can both help humans flourish and the world flourish together and succeed. And so there's a mind shift that needs to be talked about and a new guard. I agree. And it will happen. We affect those around us first. Yeah. And I think it has to start with your own agreement that, hey, you know what? Maybe I'm out of touch, right? All of our boomers are leaving. I don't know whether the ones following us have the right mindset. Right. Um, so it starts with the mindset of the leader and yeah, it just starts, I think to your point, I'll leave it at that. It starts with the mindset of the leader and the modeling of the leader and the maturing of the leader. I want people to take this challenge to at least consider. And the hardest thing for leaders to look at is their role in not doing this. Oh. Where are they stuck? Are they willing to look at that? Can they put their ego and their fear aside to be able to be open how do we get them to that openness where they are willing to say yeah i could improve i mean like you said hindsight yes we can say i was terrible i was terrible you know probably to because my daughter works for me that 
you know, she and I were bumping heads for quite a while and I had to reframe our conversations and she had to reframe her conversations and her yes. attitude. And between us, we were both willing to fight for that. Yes. So what's interesting is that we bring our human psychology to the workplace. I know I felt insecure as the CEO to go up to my people and say hello. That was my own insecurity, even though I have had years of success and hundreds of people, I was afraid to leave my office at times. I was afraid they wouldn't like me. And so we can't discard our childhood psychology that we carry forward, but we can spend the time to know what our strengths are. And then we can also surround ourselves with those that are complementary strengths to our weaknesses. So for example, at Kern, my strength is I'm naturally innovative and my biggest weakness is I'm not very empathetic. I came from a family of doctors and all we talked about the facts. My president, Camilla, was an incredible relationship person. That was her strength. And so we would partner up and she would help me overcome my insecurity, my need to understand about relationship building, investing in it and slowing down. And so I think the whole thing on strength coaching is it isn't just between the manager and the employee. It's also between the employee and the manager, right? Because the team, they're a team member. You're a team member. They're a team. You're a team, even mm -hmm. though you might be the team lead. And then understanding what are the complementary strengths to make you stronger together. Yes. And bring it together. And so again, that's a mindset, that's an, an adoption, a passion for changing how we put teams together and evaluate their working and help them work better together. More than just communication style, because we just bring our human psychology to the workplace. We do. We can't run from it. <laughs> no. No, and so there are opportunities to work on ourselves in every aspect of our life in yes, every they are. corner, nook and cranny. <laughs> yes, they are. And when you listen, if you're doing the workplace, generally it comes home. Yes. Right. If you, you know, I know my wife and I both took our Clifton strengths and we were able to see our complementary strengths. Yes. I know, you know, and how different or similar we took our working geniuses and you know how different we are, and that helped a lot also. Um, it doesn't, it's no magic answer, but it really comes from the, you matter. Everyone matters. It's that Michelangelo, the, there is the angel within, and it is my job to release the angel and inspire greatness and in those that I touch. Yes, I love that. When I first ran across the Growth Resources Institute, I don't know, six years ago or so, I was introduced by another client and I took their evaluation, which is two questions, that's it. And the, what came back to me was almost spooky with my strengths and my weaknesses, but I have taken it to heart and to know, okay, so I want to find people that can help fill in my gaps yep. and to see where my strengths are and to honor those strengths by doing it more. And I feel that I've become a, a better person to work with, to work for, to work with, and a better wife to my husband because i'm kinder yep. i'm more more thoughtful in the things yep. i say the little things that matter and so i practice it there and then i take it to work 
yes. then I take it to work and practice more so I can bring it home and do it better. Yes. And, and it yeah. has improved. I, I feel I've had people tell me they've seen a huge change in me in the last like five, six years. Yes. And what, what's so interesting, and in, uh, so I, I got certified in a process from Case Western University called Appreciative Inquiry. It's been, it's been developed and studied at Case Western Reserve, but it talks about the fact that words create worlds and the framing and how you state a question to inquire is everything. If you inquire about what's broken, what's wrong, what's not working, who's at fault, all you do is you get more of what's broken, who's at fault. When you inquire in the positive, when are you at your best? What makes us at our best? What are enabling at our best? How, how might we take what's best and double down on it? What's the smallest change that we could do to have the biggest impact? All the reframing of the question of the words changes the entire relationship, conversation, and outcome. It does. And it's as simple as my son is still trying to grasp the idea that tone matters. Tone does matter. Yes. Tone does matter because tone sets you up based on our psychology, sets you up to replay old tapes when you've heard that tone before. Yes. So you already are for formulating your response, your answer and everything else based on that before you even process the words. Correct. Correct. And, and he's starting to realize that and it's been interesting to just fighting him on that. It's like, try so it again. How about this? Yes. So what's so interesting also in one of my other studies is as a, I studied neuropsychology and, and neuroscience, and, you know, we're very primitive beings and our first inputs that we take to drive response are uncontrolled. When we see a visual, which is in about 40 milliseconds, for maybe it's 14 milliseconds, we know, is it dangerous or safe? Yes. So that is processed immediately and sends out hormones of fight or flight next is auditory and it is not the words it's the intensity of the sound is this dangerous or safe yes. so tone delivers in danger or safe and then lastly when the primitive brain says i want to pay attention the modern brain the conscious brain then actually then processes the words what is really happening so I do agree with, you know, teaching your son about tone, because if the tone is hot, that person might not be able to handle a single word there's, you're saying. Right. Because we're primitive. We're primitive animals that act sophisticated. <laughs> but if you understand the natural biology of, of our response, the visual communication the auditory responding, then the fact that the energy required to process and the mind doesn't want to process, right? Our mind is designed to not burn energy until we need it, that it, it helps to think about what is the communication I'm either using with you and I, right? the team member, with your child, with your colleague, however that might be. Oh man, I love this topic. I really do. I, when you sent that link to me and I said, oh man, these are going to be multiple conversations. It just needs to keep happening. And we have to continue with this movement. Yes. Because yes. this and is then, what we can do to change the world. <laughs> and you know, what's so interesting. We're not alone. The largest research organization in the nation, in the world, Gallup, 
who I don't have their book right handy, you know, this is their entire research about connection and meeting the, I think they have 12 or 14 universal needs and how well the manager or the organization meets the need. Now, but to meet a need, you got to really want to, you got to care. And that means the CEO has to realize they're, they say, oh, my people are my most important asset. Okay. Yeah. How deeply do you really care about every one of those people, their homes, their families, their children, their lives, their health, their well-being? Or are you just about your sales, your profit, your revenue, your growth, your market share? You can get both, but you be, but you, you don't get the most of the growth without the caring of the people. When you look at the 100 best companies, they are people-centric organizations. I think some people confuse or some leaders confuse caring about retention and, you know, I want to retain, but it's not for the right reasons. It's for the bottom line. It's for profitability rather than I want to retain because I'm treating them correctly. I want to give them that respect. I want to honor them because they have chosen to spend a third of their life with us. Yes. And the irony is retention is the result of the action that you do, not the want you want to have. It's like in the old marketing adage, a loyal customer is a result of someone who buys frequently. You can't create loyalty. What you can create is something that I want to buy frequently. So if I'm at an organization and I'm feeling joyous in my career development and enjoying the day because I've made colleagues and I feel I'm belonging and I'm doing work that's meaningful and a purpose to the world and I'm being recognized and honored and valued, I'll stay, right? They don't leave for money. They leave because they had crappy conversations with their manager. They had no career growth. Nobody cared about them. So those saying, I want retention are not asking the right question. They might want to ask the question, how might we deliver more value to our employees? How might we care about their needs and thus we will gain their retention? That's a great note to end on. Are you good? Russell, thank, Russell, thank you so much. I'm glad we did this. I'm really glad we did this. Take care. Thank you, Russell. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today on Rooted in Revenue. You can find us in all your favorite podcast apps. If you want to find Russell Kern, you can look for him on LinkedIn, but you can also go to kernandpartners.com. That's kern, K-E-R-N, and partners.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like, subscribe, share, comment, ask us questions. Never miss an episode. Check out rootedinrevenue.com and subscribe on the site to get weekly updates of when new episodes come out. Or find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio. So go subscribe. We'll get you all the information you need to do your best with marketing and your online presence.